Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you. Uh, man, it's, it's great to have Pastor Greg back. Uh, I got to tell you, he came into the office on Thursday. Uh, we miss that guy so much. You know, I know there's, uh, you guys get a chance to see him teach. Um, but there's so many things unseen that he does that impact this church that God uses. So we're really thankful to have him back. Actually, next weekend, he'll be back up here uh, teaching. So we hope you guys would, would come for that. And there's a lot from his sabbatical that he'd love to unpack as we continue our series. Uh, but I'm actually really excited to be here with you this morning. Uh, we're continuing our series, Live Like This, which has been this study on the Sermon on the Mount. And this is actually uh, my first time giving a full-length message uh, since my health issues last summer. Um, you know, many of you guys know I, I was diagnosed with tongue cancer last May, and they had to remove a little less than half my tongue. And so praise God, man, I look at it a, a little more than a year later that God's given me the ability to be here and to share with you guys. Man. Yeah, he's amazing, and I'm really excited to share with you. So there's a lot to go through. Let me open in a word of prayer, and we'll dive right in. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, just bringing us here this morning, Lord. It's always good uh, to be here in, in your house, Father, uh, to be able to worship you, to, to study your word, to be around uh, just all these people that you brought out this morning. And Lord, before we dive in, you know, there's just some serious things that we want to pray for. Uh, you know, if we've had a chance just to monitor the news over the last 24 hours, or we see these uh, just heartbreaking mass shootings that have happened in El Paso, Texas, and Dayton, Ohio, Father. Uh, Lord, we, we don't understand you know, how things like this happen, Lord. And we've seen just the loss of life, and we imagine there's so many more uh, who are injured that are clinging to life. And so, Lord, we want to pray for your healing hand upon those that are in hospitals right now, that you would give these doctors, these nurses, wisdom to treat them, Lord. And we pray, Father, for all of those that have just lost loved ones, or maybe they still don't know. Man, they, they need you, Lord. They need support. They need comfort in a way that only you can provide. Father, just be there with them. Let them feel your presence. Uh, Lord, you know, we pray for the authorities as they sort all this out, that you give them wisdom to bring these people to justice, Lord. We thank you for them risking their lives uh, to step into situations like this. And all we can do, Father, is just turn this over to you. We have no answers. Uh, we have no power in this situation. But we ask, Father, that your hand would just be strong and mighty and just and graceful and loving in a way that only you can. And, Lord, be with us here this morning. Lord, open our hearts to receive uh, just the word of God, that it would meet us exactly where we're at. Father, use me. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm so ill-equipped to do this, Lord, but uh, just let the Holy Spirit work within me to, to bring the truth of the gospel to each and every person who's here this morning. We love you, Father, and we praise you. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, you know, those of you who know me, you, you guys know I like to collect things. Uh, I, you know, from a, a young age, I was collecting uh, baseball cards when I was a kid. Uh, a little later, it was comic books into my, into my 20s. And so uh, recently, I've been collecting something, uh, and I've gotten hooked on this. I, I don't know if you guys know what Funko Pops are. Anybody know what those are? There's these little, these little toys. Um, I believe we have a picture of what they look like. And they make them for everything. They make them for uh, movie characters, uh, TV characters. They make them for, like, musicians. They make them for, they even have some of the royal family. Uh, you name it, they make it. From Captain America to Captain Crunch, they have these little toys. And so, you know, I, I collect kind of the Marvel ones from the movies and some sports athletes. I think I have roughly like 40 plus uh, of those figures right now. And, you know, I, I know what you're thinking. Uh, you might be thinking, you know, Dave, aren't you, you know, a little too old to be collecting things like this? You know, no wonder you were single for 40 plus years. That might have been a reason why. Uh, and I would respond, stop judging me. Don't judge me. <laughs> You know, there, there's nothing wrong with a 43-year-old man collecting. These aren't toys, but the website calls them pop culture uh, figures, and that, that's what I'm sticking with. That's what they are. And if I'm too old, Pastor Gary's much older than me, and he collects Star Wars toys. So, you know, I think I'm okay here. 
But you know, over this past year, uh, I got married to my wife, Sarah, and one thing I learned very quickly is that you know, Sarah has a very uh, distinct, uh, very impressive uh, decoration style. And so as we moved into a home together, uh, she was kind of putting, you know, decorating things, putting things together. And you know, unfortunately for me, toys weren't in her plan to have in the living room, right? That just wasn't going to fly. Uh, but she was very cool about it. It wasn't like she told me to get rid of them. Uh, she told me, hey, it's, it's fine that you have them, but maybe we can kind of set them up in the office and as long as you kind of get you know, just some things to display them. And so I did that. You know, I, I got this awesome display case and some other things. So I have all my toys kind of displayed in there. It looks like that. Um, very organized. Looks sharp. There's some more of them. Um, but if I'm honest with you guys, though, I'm not sure why I keep buying these, because I never take them out of the box, as you can tell from the pictures. Uh, it's, it's not likely that I'm ever going to sell them, so it's not like I'm going to make a profit off them at some point. And uh, once I get one, you know, I look at it, I'm like, oh, cool, I have this one. And then I put it on the shelf, and I never really pull it down ever again. And I move on to the next one on my list that I want to get. And maybe you guys can relate to this. Maybe some of you guys collect things. Uh, maybe it's coins or art or jewelry. Uh, for some of you guys, it's clothes, right? Clothes and shoes that you guys have an abundance of. It can be more expensive things like maybe tools or antique furniture. Some of you guys even collect cars and you help to restore them. And I think what this all comes down to is that as a people, we, we like stuff. We, we just like stuff. And it may be different for each of us, but odds are there's at least one thing that we really like and we invest in and we collect and we seek it out. You know, I think about our homes. Our homes, we, we collect stuff there. And when we don't have any more room there, we take that stuff and we put that stuff in our garage. And then when the garage space runs out, we rent storage areas, right, to store more stuff. And then when we want to buy stuff, what do we do? Well, there's endless website pages that are dedicated to reviewing stuff. People go on there and they tell you what they thought of the stuff they bought. And we read their comments to see, do I want to buy the stuff that this person bought? Right? And then when we want that stuff, we can get that stuff overnight. We pay a little extra to get it overnight. Or we sign up for Amazon Prime and we get that thing two days or less guaranteed, right, brought to our home. And some of our stuff is so expensive uh, and so important that we as a country, we spend billions of dollars a year to insure our stuff, right, to make sure it's taken care of, and whether it's property insurance or vehicle insurance. Uh, we have insurance that protects us, uh, protects our stuff from the weather, or we even have insurance that uh, protects our stuff in case someone steals it. That's how important it is to us. And I think if we really look deeper at this, this speaks to an issue that's really deeply rooted inside of us. And Jesus was well aware of this issue of how much we like stuff. And so we're going to pick this up in the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 6. Jesus addresses our stuff. Except he doesn't call it stuff in these scriptures. He calls it treasures. That's how he describes it. And I want to guys, give you guys just a quick reminder of the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through this series for uh, a couple months now, really diving into these teachings. And I think it's important to remember you know, why Jesus, probably the most popular, um, most powerful sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, why did he actually dive into all these topics? And I think the reason why he did is a lot of this is he was addressing false teachings. And these false teachings were coming from the day's religious leaders, which were the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they had a whole system of religion that was really substandard to what it was supposed to be, what God intended it to be. A lot of their religion was man-made. They took things that were from God and they twisted it to kind of fit their needs. And what their religion was doing was it was leading people further away from God than bringing them closer. And Jesus knew this, and, and their teachings were filtering to all the people. It was like gospel to them. So he had to set this straight and put them on the right path. I think before we read this passage that we're going to cover uh, this morning, there's some things that we need to know just contextually that kind of help frame what we're about to read. And I think the first one, I don't think, I didn't realize this until I was studying it, but man, Jesus talks about money. 
He talks about possessions a lot, a lot in Scripture. Just in Matthew alone, he mentions money or possessions 109 times. It's crazy, huh? And he talks about money and possessions five times more than he does any other topic. That includes heaven or hell. And if he's spending that much time, I think it shows us, man, this is important. He knows that this is an important issue for us. He might know it's an issue that we struggle with. He might know this is an issue that we really need boundaries laid out for us. And so we really need to pay deep attention to this. And secondly, I think we need to know is how did the Pharisees view money? What was their view on treasures, riches, whatever you want to call it? And for them, to be rich was to be holy. If they were rich, they were holy. If they were rich, they would say, hey, look how much I have. God is blessing me. One is, is, leads to the other one. There's a connection. They equated money with the blessings of God. And so if you had um, fancy clothes, if you had a bunch of money in your bank account or a bunch of crops, this was a sign that God was blessing you. And so you must have been okay spiritually with God. And I think we know nowadays that's not the case. A whole bunch of possessions, a whole bunch of blessings doesn't equal being at a good place with God. And that's what Jesus wanted to set straight. So knowing all of this, we're finally going to dive in. We're going to turn to Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 19. If you guys have your Bibles, I encourage you guys to turn there. You can take a look at the screen. You also have your handout in your program, or you can follow along on your app. And we'll kind of read what these scriptures have to say. Verse 19 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moss and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moss and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, as you look at these verses, I think there's one key word we really want to take note of, and that's the word treasures. You know, how does Jesus define treasures? What does that really mean? Is he telling us, man, you can't really have anything of value? You know, even the necessities, you know, you, you have to skimp on those. Is he saying that? Is he saying it's a sin to set aside money? Is it a sin to make wise investments for the future? And I think it's very clear, no, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's addressing here. And that's why it's so important we know what treasure means in this context. You know, in the Greek, as it was written, treasure here, it means treasure upon treasure. So it's treasure upon treasure. What does that actually mean? In other words, he's talking here about luxuries. It's the things that go beyond the necessities of life, the things that he knows that we need. It's the things that we hoard. It's the things that we store up. It's the things that we stack and pile up. It's really, if you had to describe it in a word, it's the excess, the excess of what we have. And that's what Jesus is addressing in these verses. And so your first point in your program is treasure here equals excess. Treasure equals excess. So it's good to know, hey, this isn't the necessities of life. God knows we need these things. He takes pleasure in providing it for us, whether it's for ourselves, whether it's for our families. Even he looks at, you know, setting money aside for the future. You're trying to be wise and take care of yourself and your family. Like, that is not anything that he has an issue with. What he's talking about here is luxury. It's all those things, maybe we can relate, that we kind of pile up and we stash. And we, we say, hey, this is so important. I can't get rid of it, even though you never look at it, you never use it, and it's just sitting there. Maybe in your home or your garage. Maybe it's the money that you have that you never have an intention to use, and it's just piling up and piling up. And it's just there to provide security. You know, this is what he is addressing. And the implication here is that there is an abundance that's too numerous for you to ever use. And so it's just going to keep compiling more and more and more. 
Now, I know what some of you guys are thinking. You guys are thinking, well, I'm a minimalist. Like, I, I make money, but I don't really have excess. I, I, have, I make enough paycheck to paycheck. I can pay for my bills or, or support my family. Maybe I have a, enough left just to, to give my tithe back to the church. I have a little bit in the bank, but I don't really have anything you would call excess. And, you know, that may be true if you kind of compare yourself to the people here in this room or if you kind of look around at the people here in the United States. But I think if we take a zoomed out approach, if we look at where we stand in relation to the rest of the world, that argument won't hold weight anymore. And so I wanted to share some statistics with you about the wealth that we have here as a country compared to the wealth that's going on all around the world. And so my question for you is how much income do you think you have to make per year in order just to be in the top 1% worldwide? So how much, how much do you think you have to make to be in the top 1% worldwide? It's just $32,400. If you make that per year, you're in the top 1% worldwide. And I'm not going to ask people to raise hands here if they make above or below, but I mean, I would wager quite a few of us make above $32,400 a year. So man, right there, we're in the top 1% worldwide of riches and wealth. Another one, uh, the average American has a total wealth, and what total wealth is kind of if you take everything that you have, your home, your car, everything you own, what's your total, the total value of all that? Well, the average American has a total wealth of $403,000. And if you compare that to other countries, India is at $7,000, and Africa is at $4,100. That's where they stand. And then finally, if we look at our disposable income, which that's the money you take home after taxes, that's considered your disposable income. Uh, per household uh, in the U.S., it's $44,000 per year, which is the highest. If you kind of take other countries, Mexico has less than $15,000 per year. And even Japan, a country that we would say, man, that country is advanced uh, technologically. We would figure they're above us. They're in the $30,000 to $35,000 range in, in disposable income. And I share all this with you to say, hey, compared to the rest of the world, we do have treasures we can offer. We have something to offer a hurting world. We may not see it in comparison to others around us, but if we look at ourselves compared to the world, we have something from our treasures to offer. And that could be right here in this room. That could be here in the South Bay. That could be here in the city of L.A., this country. And according to the statistics, the world is in need of this. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we want to use what we have? How do we use it? You know, taking this back to the scriptures in Matthew chapter 6, you know, Jesus, he, he very clearly lays out two paths. There's two situations that we have to choose from here. There's two treasuries, there's two visions, and there's two masters. And he's saying, hey, you can go this way or you can go this way. There's this clear fork in the road moment, but he wants us to make a decision. Are you going to store up for your treasures here on earth or are you going to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven? There's no other option. There's no middle ground here. And he very clearly is going to lay out what these two paths look like. He wants us to know what we're getting into. So when I was reading, you know, the entirety of this passage, I think there was three questions. And these are kind of going to be our points as we go through uh, these scriptures. Three questions that come from what Jesus is sharing. I think that will help us determine where our treasure is going. We, we can think it's one way, but if we answer these questions honestly and openly, I think it will tell us exactly where we're storing our treasures. And the first question for you is, who has your heart? Who has your heart? You may be thinking, shouldn't this question be like, who has your treasure? And that's a good question, but I think if we look at verse 21, Jesus makes a very important statement. And his statement in verse 21 is this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
Jesus, he's very clear. He's making this connection that our heart and our treasure, that they're connected, uh, that one leads to the other. And man, there's so much uh, wisdom to this because we think about our heart, right? Whatever's in our heart, eventually that moves to our thoughts. Whatever is in our heart takes hold, we think about it, right? It forms our thoughts. Um, and if it's in our minds long enough, if it's in our thoughts long enough, eventually it's going to show itself in our actions. There's this clear progression from our heart to our mind and from our mind to our actions. And so everything really comes from an outpouring of our heart. So if you want to know where your treasure is, all you have to do is look at your heart. That'll tell you exactly where your treasure is being stored up. You know, is it on one hand, is your heart focused on, man, I'm planning on how to get more money, or I'm focused on how to get more stuff, or is it, man, I'm going to hold on to dear life for everything that I have because it's mine and it brings security, and I'm not thinking about anyone except for maybe me or my family, and I'm holding on to it. Then your heart, I think, is telling you that your treasures are stored here on earth. On the other hand, is your heart focused on how to help other people? When you see them in need, maybe it's like, hey, I don't have money to give them, but maybe, hey, how can I pray for them? Or, hey, how can I just let them know I'm here? I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how to help them, but at the very least, I just want to let them know they're not alone. Is it, you know, when we send missionaries out and, you know, they have these fundraisers, right? Maybe we don't have the finances uh, to give a whole bunch of money to support them, but maybe it's just, it's buying a t-shirt that they're selling. Or maybe it's, as we have food fundraisers, buying a bowl of chili. You know, the, all those little things add up and they show where our heart is at. So is your heart showing where your treasure is? And if that is your mindset, then I say, hey, I think you're the mindset that I want to store up treasures in heaven. And it all comes down to the central question. You know, who has your heart? Is it here on earth or is it beyond that in heaven? You know, when I, when I look at this passage, again, you know, it, it's all about choices. Uh, and Jesus makes it very clear, you can't straddle the fence on this one. This isn't one where, hey, you know, I, I can store up a little bit here on earth, and then sometimes I'll give a little bit to heaven, and God gets two, and I get one, and you're kind of playing this toe half in, half out, straddling the fence mentality. He said, that, that's not going to cut it right here. And he, he cuts to the quick of the situation in verse 24. Let's flip ahead there. And he makes it very clear in the first sentence, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He says, you cannot, and I want you guys to underline, you cannot serve both God and money. It doesn't work that way. As much as we think we can play it that way, that's not how it works. And I think as we look at the scripture, why did Jesus mention this as masters, right? He says, no one can serve two masters. And I think it's because, again, it's another contextual situation where he was refer referring to the slave and slave owner relationship. In, in biblical times, there was a master and there were slaves that served under them. And he was saying, you know, any slave, uh, they are owned by one person. They work for one person. Their focus is to one person. They don't have multiple masters, but they are dedicated to that one person. And he was saying just in that same way, we need to figure out who do we serve? Who is our master? And Jesus drew this conclusion that you can only have your treasure in one place or the other. And so my second question for you, the first one was, who has your heart? The second one was, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Just that, like slaves and masters at this point, it has to be one. And, and your sub-point for that is no one can serve two masters because God demands all of you. You know, as you read Scripture, it's very clear Jesus, he doesn't want like a 25% of you. He doesn't want 50% of you. He doesn't even want 90% of you. He wants 100% of you. It's an, it's an all-in proposition. That what he, that's what he's asking. And if we're trying to do both, really what we're doing is we aren't serving God. By trying to serve both masters, 
we're not serving God. Instead, we're serving what's here on earth. Or if our thought process is, I won't make a decision, in the indecision, you're making a decision. That's how it works. If you're not doing anything, you're choosing to store up treasures here on earth. And that's what you're picking. And I compare it to, you know, being in the ocean, right? You can, you can be out in the ocean and you can just be sitting there, right? And you might think, hey, I'm just going to stay in this one spot. But if you're not putting any effort forward, if you're not making any actions, the current, right, the waves are going to move you someplace. They're going to take you away from where you are. You can't just hold tight in the water. You actually have to paddle or float or do something to stay where you are or you have to go to a destination. If your plan is just to stay there, that's not how it's going to move. And it's the same for us. We can just want to stay where we're at and hold on to what we have. But in doing that, we're being swept one way or being swept the other. So, man, we need to make a decision. We need to make a choice. Who do I want to serve? What's my conscious choice? And does my action support that choice? You know, another thing that stands out to me about this passage is that, you know, Jesus, he very clearly lays out where we can go. And he tells us in detail, really in detail, if you follow this, this is what will happen. If you follow this, this is what's going to happen. He doesn't want to bait and switch here. He's going to make it very clear. So as we make our choice, we know what we're getting into. And we'll kind of move back to see what this looks like. So if we're going to store up treasures on earth, what happens as a result of that? And he tells us in verse 19. We'll go back. It says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He's saying, you know, spoiler, if you're going to store treasures here on earth, it's not going to end well for you. It's just not. And he mentions a moss and he mentions vermin, right, which seems like very, you know, random instruments of destruction. Um, but again, I think if we know why Jesus is saying this, it'll, it'll make a lot of sense to us. And he knows the people at the time. So, you know, as he mentions moss, uh, you know, in this time, garments, what people wore, was a very clear indicator of their wealth and, and their stature. Just like today, right? We see people with fancy purses or shoes or jackets. That kind of tells us a little bit of what, what their value, how much money that they have. And it was the same thing here. And their garments, you know, they were a commodity of great value because very often they had gold that was kind of woven into it. Expensive dyes were used. You know, clothes were, were an expensive proposition. So, so to have garments that stood out, man, man this, this person has some money. They have some influence. People literally possessed their wealth in their garments. Um, but there was a problem with garments, and Jesus mentions it right here. It's the moss, right? Because moss eat clothes. They eat garments. And today we have mothballs that kind of help prevent that. But in Bible times, right, of course, they didn't have that. And so moss were a very real issue. Um, but Jesus, he was super strategic in how he brought this up. Because mentioning moss, uh, you know, when, when moss attack or when they do their damage, they don't eat clothes that you're wearing, right? It's not what you're actually using. They're not eating it as you're walking around. They eat that which is stored up. They eat the stuff that's sitting in the closet and storage, the things that you aren't using, and so Jesus, again, is reinforcing that idea of treasure as stuff that we don't use, the thing that's in excess. And he's saying all that stuff, all those expensive clothes that you have stored away that maybe show who you are, show the wealth that you have, moths are going to eat that up. They're going to destroy that. They don't care if it's fancy and it costs a bunch of money or if it's cheap. That's what's going to happen to it. And it's the same thought with vermin, right? At the time, people were mostly farmers. And so if they had excess food, excess crops, they would store it in the barn. Well, what comes into barns and, and eats the excess grain or the excess fruit or whatever has been raised up? It's vermin, right? They get in there and they eat it. They, they come in. And so, again, it's not what, what the farmer is using. It's not the food that he needs to support his family or that helps support, support his style of life. It's what he has in excess that the vermin go after. And so very clearly, Jesus is picking these things because these are the things that attack the excess. And he's saying, hey, you can store these things up as much as you want. 
But at the end of the day, things are going to take it away from you. And if, if vermin don't get it, if moss don't get it, then thieves could break it and just take it right away from you. That's how he, how he shares it with us. As I'm you know, looking at this passage, you know, Jesus, a lot of times he uses farmers because you know, these, this was the trade of the time that so many people could relate to. And there's a parable that he mentions if we look in Luke chapter 12 that speaks to this. It speaks to this idea of storing up and, and just this heart attitude of greed that sometimes we all fall into. And so I want to read this parable to you. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. This is how the parable goes. This is, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, you know, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, you know, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This rich man, you can see it, you know, he's, he's raised up his harvest. You know, he has more than he ever thought he would get. And he has so much that, man, he can't even store it in the barns that he has. And so he thinks, you know, what, how am I going to solve this problem? How do I keep all of this that has been given to me? He's like, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones so I can store all of this. And in his mind, he's thinking, man, I'm, I'm set up for, for the future. I can kick back. I can eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus comes in. And he just rains on this guy's parade. He tells him, man, you're a fool because you're making all of these plans. And little do you know that your life is going to be taken from you tonight. And then what's going to happen to all of this stuff that you stored up? Where is it going to go? It's all for nothing. It's like whoever stores up these things, they're fools if they're not rich toward God. And there's two things that stand out to me in, in just this rich man and, and his, pro, his process as farmer is that, you know, nowhere in this story does he think, he's always thinking, well, what do I do? How do I store up? Never in this does he think, well, the excess I have, how can I use it to help other people? You know, maybe I can keep some of what I have for me and for my family. We don't know if he has a family here. But never does he think, man, maybe the reason why I have some of this is that I can use it to help people in need. Nowhere does that enter his thought process. And the second one is, man, God refers to this man as a fool. And if God is calling you a fool, that's pretty strong if God's calling you a fool. And you think, man, why is God coming down so hard on this guy? Maybe we could put ourselves in this guy's shoes and think, man, I, I might do the same thing. You know, I might store up something. I might create more storage space. But he calls this guy a fool very clearly and very plainly. And why does he do that? Because I think this guy is realizing that nowhere in his thought process, again, is he thinking about the future beyond earth. Everything is in the here and everything is in the now. And he's so focused on himself. He's so focused on life here on earth that he never asked the question, God, you know, what would you have me do with this excess? It doesn't mention here that he sits and he prays. He thinks it through on his own and his own man-made wisdom and what is wise to him. Never thinking that he could lose his life. Never thinking that he won't be able to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Never thinking, does God have a greater plan for what I've been given? He's just looking at it through his own lens of how it affects him. And I think like the farmer, when we were making these choices of what to do with our treasures, you know, greed is something we all struggle with uh, in some shape or form. You know, we want what we want, and when we get that, oftentimes we want more. That's kind of how, how, how the whole process works. 
Now, I wanted to share with you something. I was reading some commentaries preparing for this message from uh, Pastor John MacArthur. You know, oftentimes we'll mention him. He, he really breaks down a lot of passages, a lot of wisdom uh, to his commentaries. And he's been a pastor for, man, I think like 50 years now, almost 50 years. And he shared in all his time as a pastor, you know, you can imagine he's had countless meetings with people, right? He's met with people to counsel them. People come to him. They have issues. They want to receive wisdom. They want to receive prayer. A lot of times they come to him and they're confessing just sins that they're struggling with, things that are just really hard for them, things like maybe adultery, things like lust, uh, things like selfishness, uh, things like dishonesty. You name it, he's probably heard it over the course of 50 years of ministry. But he said in all his time, uh, of listening to people, the one sin that he's never had anyone directly come up to him and confess to was greed. Not one time in 50 years. And he went on to say, he thinks it's because the struggle with this has become the most normal sin. We don't even recognize it anymore because it's so ingrained into who we are. It's so ingrained into our culture. And he said that's because it's that way, that makes it one of the most dangerous sins because we don't recognize it. We don't see it until it's right there upon us. And he even went on to say, he says, you know what greed feels like? It feels like normal. It feels like that's just how it goes. That's every day. It feels like normal. And if we look around, you know, our culture builds this every day, you know, and it pushed towards materialism, uh, consumerism, the ads we see in magazines, on TV, uh, on, on websites. You know, it's all around us what you need to have and why you need to have it. How can you get it? And so we begin to target, we begin to angle our lives around the pursuit of these things, sometimes in a way that just blends in with everyone else. And so we don't know if we're falling into greed. And I think for some of us, you know, we don't intentionally mean to be people who have greed at the, our hearts. We might think, man, that's, I don't think a lot of us go and be, hey, you know, I'm going to be greedy with this. This is my mindset. I'm just going to hold on to what I have. It's not our intention, but sometimes greed sneaks up on us. And I wanted to read a story of what that could look like. Uh, you know, there, one day there was this farmer, right, and, and he was very joyful. He came into the kitchen. His wife was there. He had a big grin on his face, and he announced to her that their finest cow had given birth to twins, uh, one brown cow and one white cow. And this guy, he's feeling it. You know, he has this impulse. He's like, man, God gave me these two cows. I'm so excited to have them. So, you know, maybe I want to do something meaningful with one of them. And so he tells his wife, hey, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to raise these cows side by side. And when they get old enough, when they're at a marketable age and we can sell them off for profit, one cow will be for us and one cow I'll, I'll give away to God. Any money that we make from this cow, we'll give back to God, to the church, to help people. He's like, that's our plan. And the wife is like, man, that's a great plan. So which one is it going to be? Is it the white one or is it the brown one? Which one are you going to dedicate back to God? And he said, you know, we don't have to decide right now because we're going to raise them together. We'll, we'll kind of deal with that later. Well, some months go by. Uh, the farmer comes back into the kitchen again. His wife's there. And he, this time he walks in a little more slowly. And he walks in. You can tell there's just something wrong with him. He's very sullen. He's very downcast. And his wife's like, you know, honey, what, what's going on? What, what, what happened? And he replies, you know, I have some really bad news, honey. Today, the Lord's cow died. And you think about that, right? You know, one cow passed away, and why was it the Lord's cow that passed away? Why wasn't it his cow that passed away? And I think, you know, we can relate to this, right? I think the farmer, like many of us, he had the right intentions, right? He wanted to use this blessing that he had for a greater purpose. But when it really came down to it, when it really came down to it, the farmer didn't want to lose what he had. 
Maybe it was for fear of, man, if I lose this cow, uh, it's going to affect my standard of living. And my standard of living is here. And, and to go below that standard of living, it, it brings fear. It brings anxiety. And I'm not going to do that. Maybe for him, the wealth represented a, a way just to kind of pre- prepare and to take care and bring security to him and his family. And so when that was threatened, he did what most of us do. We hold off for dear life to what we have. Well, we're not going to let it go, even if it's to God. We're just not. Because if we have it, we're in control. We dictate how we use it. And, and there's something that just brings anxiety to releasing that to somebody else because we don't know how that's going to turn out. And I think as people, uh, there's just this very simple thought process that we have is we think the more we have, the more security will come with that. So if we, the more we get, the more money we have in the bank, hey, I have more of a cushion if something ever happened. Uh, the more possessions we have, the more backup plans we have, it just brings us security. But I think what really happens in actuality is the more we have, the more anxiety it brings because we want to hold on to what we have and there's more to protect now. There's more at stake. There's more to lose. So the opposite happens. And the more anxiety happens, uh, the more fearful we become. And so we think it's going to play out one way, but it actually plays out the other. And your point, if I had to just create a simple equation for this, is more stuff equals less security and more anxiety. And as I mentioned earlier, we like to protect our stuff, right? That's kind of our fail-safe is that we want to protect it. So we put it in banks uh, where it's safe or where it'll, uh, it'll get an investment uh, on what we have in there. And for many of us, that looks like insurance, right? The whole insurance industry is built on, man, I just want to protect this. And some insurance we have to have because the law tells us we have to have it. You know, medical insurance, uh, uh, maybe it's uh, car insurance, we have to have that. But there's a lot of insurances that are out there that we choose, that's our choice to have. And there's some weird ones. As I was looking at these up, man, there's some weird insurances out there. There's one called alien abduction insurance. Like, this is a real thing. I promise. I didn't make it up. It's in the event you're paranoid about having a close encounter with an alien, uh, you can land your insurance policy that safeguards you against any UFO or alien abduction. This is for real. And it's really popular in Europe, in the UK. Um, one insurer has sold more than 30,000 such policies. Believe that, 30,000 policies. And these aren't cheap policies either. That's, that's what's happening in Europe. It makes me wonder what's going on there. Anyway, but there's also body part insurance. Uh, you guys you know, might have heard, especially from celebrities, right? They insure parts of their body. And uh, Heidi Klum, a famous model, she has each of her legs insured for $2 million each. You know, Daniel Craig, who is, I think has been the most recent James Bond, he has his body insured for $9.5 million. And J-Lo, Jennifer Lopez, uh, she has one that blows all those out of the water. J-Lo, I don't know how to say this in church, but she has insured her tush, her behind, for $27 million. Isn't that crazy? $27 million. And I think it's, again, that reinforces this thought is that we want to protect what we have. And I just want to play this whole scenario out. So say we do protect what we have. Say, you know, it's there in the bank. Say this insurance comes in handy. At the end of the day, we're all going to lose our lives here. We're going to leave this earth. And so if our plan goes 100% and we make it to the end of the line, then what happens to our stuff? You know, does it just get passed down to our families? Does the government take it? Who ends up with it, right? At the end of the day, we don't take it with us. And Job 121 speaks to this so well. It says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. You're going to come into this world with nothing, and you're going to leave this world with nothing. That's how it's going to go for each and every one of us. 
But I think the beauty of this, the, the beauty of, of how Jesus speaks to this is, you know, he's not here to condemn us. He knows how we are. He knows that we need these things sometimes just to live life, but he knows we also worry and we have anxiety. And he's not going to condemn us, but he's going to meet us exactly where we're at. He knows our insecurities. Man, as a loving father, he knows our fears. He knows our struggles. And so as he presents this choice of uh, storing up treasures in heaven, he's going to speak to that. He's going to meet that. And that's exactly what he does in this last part of the passage. We'll pick up in verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single day or single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? You see how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. You know, so well laid out here. If I had to just concisely put this together, what is God saying to us here? He's saying, God has got you. He's got you. He has you covered. He knows, and he's going to provide he knows exactly what you need, much more than you think you do. He knows the food. He knows the clothes. He knows the roof over your head. He knows the needs you have in your heart that maybe you haven't even identified yet. And he's telling you, I'm going to meet those needs. I I'm there for you. I'll provide for you. You know, as I read this, there's, there's a couple things here that I just wanted to point out that hopefully will bring us uh, just some peace. And he's telling us, number one, he said, we didn't create ourselves, of course, right? And we don't keep ourselves alive. That is all at the plan and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And in verse 25, he tells us, man, life, it's worth more than food. And your body, it's worth more than clothes. He's kind of making a comparison. And so if God is in control of the greater things in life, he says, I'm in control of life, I'm in control of your body, then how much more so am I going to be in control of these lesser things, like food, and like clothes, and like your home. He's like, man, if you can trust me here, then why can't you trust me here? Because this proves that I'll be faithful to this. It's a very simple argument, but that's what he's telling us. A little further, he talks about the birds, right? The birds of the air and the flowers. And he's saying, hey, I provide for these things, and these things don't work. These things aren't, these, these uh, acts of creation aren't storing up things in, in barns and excess and garments. He's like, but I, pro I, I provide for them. I do. He's like, and if I provide for these things, and he very clearly says, I think in verse 25, that these things are less valuable than us. He's like, you are of so much more worth. I love you so much more. If I'm going to provide for them, why would I not provide for you? Just trust that. Trust that. Another comparison that makes so much sense when we look at it. And he says, man, you can worry. You can worry all you want, but at the end of the day, it won't accomplish anything. It won't bring one more hour. It won't bring one more day to your life. So, so why stress about it? Store your treasures in heaven. Follow me. Let me be your master. And this is the path. And this is what it will look like. And so your final question, we had, you know, who has your heart? Who do you serve? Your final question is, who do you trust? Who do you trust? And your sub point for that is, Jesus knows what we need and he will provide. 
And if I had to break these two sides, these two paths down in, in regards to trust, I would say Jesus is saying, he's saying, a life with me on this path, I will meet your needs. He's saying, you don't have to stress. It's not all on you to make it happen because I'm in control. He's like, just trust me with your life and your treasures. The beauty is it won't just be about the here and now, but these things that you have will have value long after you leave this earth. That's what he's saying. On the flip side, he's saying the God of this earth, Satan is saying, a life with me on this path means you have to meet your own needs. You're the one that's in control, so you have to hustle. It's up to you to accumulate and take care of it. And with that, it's going to play into your greedy tendencies. And with that, it's going to bring anxiety. And your life is going to be all about the here and now and, what, and how your life goes here and providing for the things here. But once you're gone, you're gone. And none of that is ever going to matter. And it might all be for naught because your stuff might be stolen and your stuff might be taken away from you. And you never know when you're going to leave this earth. That's what that path looks like. So looking at these two options, I would ask, who do you trust? Which one makes more sense? You know, I want to close uh, just with a couple more questions. You know, it, depending on the path we choose, you know, earth or heaven, I feel like there's a question that comes along with that. And so treasures on earth equal the question, what next? What next? You know, say we have this big interview coming up for a promotion. Um, and so we ask ourselves, you know, if you get that promotion, you know, this is something, there's nothing wrong with seeking this out or wanting a promotion at work. But the question comes, well, what next? What comes after that? And you're like, well, if that happens, then I can get, I can get the house I want. Uh, I really need a home. And you're like, well, that's great. You know, you deserve to have a home. Uh, but after you get the home, like, what's next? Well, you know, once I get the home, then I have to remodel it, right? Because there's certain things that need to be fixed, certain things that uh, need to be reformatted. You're like, well, that's great. You know, it's going to look sharp. And then you ask them, what next? Well, then I, I can get the car that I want. Because, you know, we need another car for the family or the car that I have is, is kind of running out of steam. And then you ask, well, that, that's great, but then what's next? And you can see it's just this endless progression. Where does it stop? And it goes from being about, eventually it'll go from being, stop being about necessities to be about things that are just there for, for pleasure or for comfort. And there's, it's always that question, what's next? And I think, you know, we, we end up being running around like these busy little ants. And we're, we're looking at, you know, it's about my promotions here, or it's about my school here, what school I'm going to get to, or it's about my paycheck, or it's about my life insurance, or it, it's about this and that. And you're saying, God, this stuff is so important because if I get set up, if I get this money, I can give some back to you, and I can provide for these people, and it gives me a quality of life. So God, come in here, work in this situation. And we're so tunnel vision, we're so focused on it, that we're not looking about what's going on outside of that. And God is telling us, hey, that's important. I agree with those things. I want you to have those things. But I need you to not just look here, but to look up above to heaven. Because maybe the reason I'm giving you these things isn't just for the here and now, but maybe there's something bigger going on. And I need you to pull out of that and ask me, is there something bigger at play here that is of eternal value and not just in the moment? That's what he's telling us what to do. And I'm convinced that at some point when we get to go home and leave this earth and we're with the Lord, we'll see this situation very clearly for what it is. And we'll look at how we were acting in that moment and be thinking, what was I thinking? What was I doing? Why was that thing so important? Why was that promotion? Why was that pay raise? Why was that college? Why was this possession? Why was it so important? Because all of a sudden we'll be seeing things from a different perspective. That's what it looks like if we put our treasures on earth. What next? And the last question is treasures in heaven, if we kind of go that route, We'll ask the question, what impact will this have on eternity? You know, the people who serve this master, they look at things very differently. 
And they look at the thing through the lens of, you know, if I do this, how, is there a bigger impact that's going on here? Is there something bigger at play that maybe affects things that are long after we leave here? Maybe it's how can I use my finances in a way that help those in need? You know, if I get my promotion, yeah, there's, there's things that I, I can use to bless my family, but maybe I can tithe a little more. And where does that tithe go? Does it help people? Even if I never know what it ends up going for, I just trust that God's going to use it in a way that's impactful. Maybe it's supporting a missionary. Being like, man, I can finally support a missionary. And, and I know I can't go to Japan or Uganda or East Asia or all these places. That's not in the cards for me now. But maybe if I support this person through them, the gospel goes someplace I could never take it. Someplace it desperately needs to go. And that's something that's of eternal value. You know, how can I look at my treasures as not just mine, because I think that's our tendency. This is mine. How am I going to use that? But looking at, hey, I'm just a steward of what I have. You know, I'm just a caretaker. Everything I have comes from God. And all of a sudden, when you have that mindset, you use that, and your choices look a lot different when you're just a steward, when you're just a caretaker. Because no longer it's about me and what I have, but it's, hey, God's given me this for a season, so how am I going to use it wisely with something bigger in mind? So that question that question comes, how will this impact eternity? You know, I had a story, you know, where I really saw this kind of come into place. This is just the story I want to close with is, you know, I know many of you guys sponsor children here. Uh, maybe it's through Loving One by One. Uh, you sponsor kids in Uganda. There's so many organizations that do this, World Vision, uh, Compassion International, and you guys sponsor kids for a certain amount of money a month. Uh, well, my wife, and, uh, Sarah, and I, we sponsor a little boy in Uganda. His name's Alvin. And uh, when we were dating, uh, you know, I think we just kind of realized that, hey, you know, we, we both have our finances, but, you know, we have the hopes that we're going to get married. And so maybe we can do something financially together uh, that's for a good cause and for a good purpose. And it just happened to be that, you know, I was visiting her. She was working out in Philadelphia at the time. And uh, on our Facebook page was Loving One by One. And Sherry Roberts, who heads up that ministry, she had these two pictures. There's a little boy and a little girl. And she was saying, hey, these kids, they, they need someone to support them. And if you do that, that puts them in school. That gives them a couple more meals a day. That gives them some clothes. But more importantly, it teaches them who Jesus is. And this is really a big breakthrough because schools in Uganda, uh, you have to pay to go. There is no public school system. So the ability to go to school has to be funded by someone or come from someplace. And so we looked at these two pictures, right? We had the little boy, the little girl. And you know, how do you decide, right? They're both so cute. They're both so worthy of being supported. So we wrote their names down. Remember, we put it in a hat. And we're like, whatever name we pull out, that's who we're going to support. And so I pulled Alvin out. Alvin was, was our boy. And so we signed up 50 bucks a month, 25 bucks each from us. And, and that's how it looked. And so we get a letter a year from Alvin, you know, just sharing things about what he liked, his little drawings. He was roughly about five or six at the time. Uh, but fast forward a little later, we actually got to go to Uganda. We got to serve there. And we got to meet Alvin. And I think we have a picture of him. This is a little guy right there. Um, you know, I had sponsored kids before, and I was always thankful that I did. But there was something so different uh, about just seeing this guy here in person. Uh, you know, he didn't speak English, but he had a smile, just, you know, ear to ear. And I got to see him just smiling and playing and playing soccer with his friends. And now he wasn't just this kid from a picture and a letter, but he was fully realized. I, I saw just how much God loved him and being able to spend time with him. And he was laughing and he had so much joy. And I saw the food that he ate. You know, they would come out with this big bin of porridge that we would probably look at and be like, no way I'm eating that. But these kids would take it and they would just pound it, right? There was no, I don't eat this, I don't eat that. They would put that stuff down as fast as possible because it was a warm, warm meal in their stomachs. I saw him coming to school and learning and singing songs. And more importantly, I saw him learning who Jesus was. And they would teach them Bible stories and they would sing songs about Christ. 
And in that moment when I saw him learning and eating and more importantly learning about Jesus, you know, my 50 bucks a month, I realized, man, this, this is meaningful. You know, that's a drop in the bucket for me. I would never miss it. But seeing what the, the, the fruit it was producing, seeing that, hey, what was happening here was eternal. I would have paid 200 bucks to sponsor that kid in that moment. If they said, hey, Dave, we need 500 bucks, I would have Pastor Gary, give me a raise. 500 bucks it is, right? Because there's those moments where things become clear and you know what you're doing and you know what you have. It's, it's going towards something that matters, that really matters. And I don't know what the future holds for Alvin. You know, I, my hope is that he, he knows Christ and he walks with him as he gets older and older and older. And maybe by extension of him having faith, maybe his family comes to faith. But the one thing I do know, the one thing I do know that's crystal clear is that the seeds of the gospel and who Jesus is and how much he loves Alvin is being shared with him day in and day out. And no matter what happens, those seeds will never, ever, ever be taken away from him. And when I look at things in that perspective, I think, man, that's what storing up treasures in heaven look like. And all of you who sponsor children, whatever organization it is, if it's a Christian organization, that's what's happening. And I bring this up because this is one of just many, many, many ways that we can store up treasures in heaven that have impact long after we leave this earth. And so church, I want to ask you this, these three questions again. Who has your heart? Who do you serve? And who do you trust? Which road are you going to go down? And I hope the answers to all of these questions lead you on this path with Jesus as the master and storing up treasures in heaven. Because the great thing is, man, long after we leave this earth, how many years we have left, we never know. But when we do that, we know, man, these things matter. And when we get to the other side of eternity and we're there with Jesus, we'll see that. We'll see the fruit that it's produced. It will all come into clear focus. And we'll know, man, that's what mattered. That's why God gave me this. Not just for myself, not to take care of just the people that are close to me, but he gave me this to bless other people. And that's a promise we can hold on to for the rest of eternity. Let me close in a word of prayer. Uh, Father, we, uh, we thank you for just giving us the opportunity to be here uh, this morning. And man, you know, I think this is an issue we all struggle with. This is such a relatable topic, because we all have something. Some of us have a lot, some of us have a little, but it's this thought of how are we gonna use it? How do we take what we have, these treasures, whether it be money, time, talents, Lord, how do we use it in a way that doesn't just bring us glory, that doesn't just speak to us, Lord, but there's something bigger in play? And Father, you know how we are. You know how we're hardwired. Now, sometimes it's about us, and greed kind of rears its head, and it's so hard to fight that off. But Lord, you tell us that you'll meet us there, and all you need us to do is to trust you, is to put you in place as our master, and to seek you and how we use the things that we have. And Father, and when we do that, man, things of real, true worth happen. And I think that's what we all want, Lord. We all want to be a part of something that lasts long after we're gone, that really makes an impact. And this is the road that you're providing for us to follow. So help us, Father. That's not something that we just make and all of a sudden we do it day in, day out. But that's a decision by decision process, Lord. So choice by choice, help us to see things through your lens and through your eyes. Father, thank you for meeting our needs as well. Father, we, we're not owed anything. We haven't earned anything. But Father, you lovingly provide for us. You give us clothes to wear, food to eat, a roof over our head. And sometimes that's a struggle. Sometimes that's not guaranteed. Sometimes we don't see where that's going to come from. But you tell us, Father, you know our needs and you'll meet it. So thank you for being such an amazing provider. 
We love you, Father. We praise you. We pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.